You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to the final latest news podcast for 2023. Woo! I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and joining me today, I have three of my senior managers who are, well, actually, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Okay, I'll go first. I'm Tim Sanderson. And I'm Kim Guest. Hello, everyone. And I'm Linda Bruce. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks, guys. Well, hasn't 2023 been a big year yet again? And just to give you an example how busy First Tech has been over the last 12 months, we've taken this year over 12,000 technical inquiries, so supporting advisors with questions about what their client circumstances are. We've delivered around 85 technical presentations that have been attended by, we think, somewhere between six and 12,000 advisors and their support, support staff. We've recorded about 36 podcasts. This one will be number 37 and have had a total of about 15,000 listens. So thanks, guys, for your support of the podcast. We're actually getting more listens to the podcast now than people calling us up and asking us a technical question. So certainly going to continue doing these. Also written well over 20 articles and sent 10 First Tech monthly emails that have been opened and read by about 30,000 people. So a big year. And one in which, and I think I can speak for the whole team, we've very much enjoyed supporting advisors to help their clients with their financial needs, whether that be implementing a complex small business or SMSF strategy or helping just simply a client start a pension, commute a pension, maximise their age pension or enter into aged care. So a broad gamut of technical support that we provide. Now, enough of last year. What we thought we'd do with this latest news is have a look at the kinds of issues or identify those issues that we need to be aware of or advisors need to be aware of in the coming 12 months. Okay, so let's go through what we're going to talk about. So let's start with you, Tim. So I'm going to be talking about um, certain super caps and thresholds and whether they're likely to be going up uh, come 1 July 2024. Yes. Hi, Craig. Uh, we are going to talk about the stage three tax cut. I know we did a podcast last month. What are we doing it again, right? Because it's just fitting into today's scheme perfectly. So we're just going to have a brief discussion about it. Okay. And Kim? Yes, I'm going to be discussing aged care fees and the likelihood that they may be going up from 1 July next year um, as part of a series of aged care reforms that the government is implementing post the Royal Commission into aged care. Um, I'm also going to be talking about the Social Security Work Bonus and um, some legislation that's gone through that makes some temporary measures permanent from 1 January next year. Right, so certainly fitting into the theme, things we need to think about next year and one thing starting right on 1 January. Okay, so Tim, let's start with you and whether the caps are likely to increase next financial year. Now, is it just me or did nothing happen with the caps for like ages and then all of a sudden they seem to be changing like every year? Yeah, it does seem like that, uh, doesn't it? Um, All the main caps 
uh, kicked off on 1 July 2017, but then nothing happened for four years until 1 July 21. And then it feels like one or more of those caps have really increased every year since then, which is probably because we have different caps indexed by different factors. Okay, so let's start off with the concessional cap. So is that likely to increase to $30,000 come 1 July 2024? Yeah, look, simple answer, yes, we strongly think so. Okay, so and why? Well, keep in mind that the concessional cap is indexed to average weekly ordinary time earnings or a WATI, but in increments of $2,500. So if indexation each year doesn't result in an increase of more than $2,500, then it stays at its current level. Otherwise, it increases to the next $2,500 threshold. Now, the critical number is going to be the December quarter awardee figure. And look, we don't know that yet, but we do know that the June 2023 quarter number, um, we already know that. And awardee only needs to increase by around uh, 0.07% in the six months through to the December quarter for that concessional cap to increase to 30,000 from 1 July. Okay, so only by a a tiny fraction. And I suppose... Thinking about it too, when you look at the financial press at the moment, it's full of stories about wages starting to increase. So, for example, we saw the Productivity Commission increase the minimum wage for 23-24 by over 5%. So, assuming all that flows through to the December Awati figure, I think we are likely to see that concessional cap increase to $30,000 come 1 July. Now, this also has knock-on implications for the non-concessional cap as well, doesn't it? Yes, certainly does. So the standard non-concessional cap, it's not individually indexed itself. Um, It's just set at four times the concessional cap. So concessional cap goes up to $30,000. we are very likely looking at a $120,000 standard non-concessional cap from 1 July 24. Okay. And so obviously with the non-concessional cap, that flows through to the Bringford rules? Uh, yes, correct. Um, and so potentially up to 360000 using the three-year bring forward rule, um, depending on the client's total super balance. Okay. And now this is where things are going to get a bit complicated because those bring forward rules for them, we need to take a look at the transfer balance cap as well, don't we? Yeah, we do. So for example, the current lower non-concessional cap bring forward threshold, which is $1.68 million, is calculated as the current general transfer balance cap, less twice the standard non-concessional cap. And that middle threshold, which is currently $1.79 million, is the general transfer balance cap, less one times the standard non-concessional cap. Okay. So on the presumption that non-concessional cap increases to $120,000 due to the indexation of that concessional cap, That means those thresholds could actually reduce unless the transfer balance cap also increases due to indexation. So what's happening with that? Don't don't tell me we're going to see that. Well, we don't think so, Craig. Um, Remembering that the general transfer balance cap is actually indexed by CPI rather than AWATI and it's indexed in increments of $100,000. Um, We'd need to see an inflation rate, a quarterly increase of 1.63% approximately in the December quarter for the general transfer balance cap to increase from 1.9 million to 2 million come 1 July 24. Mm -hmm. And and for a bit of comparison, the most recent recent three quarterly increases uh, 
in CPI were 1.2.8 and 1.4%. So it's certainly possible that it could increase, but much less certain than a concessional cap increasing. Okay, so if I can summarise what we've been talking about. So at this stage, we're likely to see the concessional cap go to $30,000 on the 1st of July. And as a result, the non-concessional cap will also go to $120,000 and up to $360,000 under those bring forward rules. However, chances are we won't see another increase to the transfer balance cap. And as a result, the non-concessional contribution cap bring forward thresholds could actually decrease. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Um, But we really need to wait for those December quarter Awati and CPI figures, and then we'll be in a position to know for sure. So it's a bit of a watch this space at the moment. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Okay, let's move on to Linda. Now, Linda, remind me what you're talking about again. Yeah, we're talking about the stage three tax card crack. Okay, so now obviously we've talked about this a bit lately as you intimated in your intro, but can you summarise these as simply as you can just for those people that may have missed out on all of our talk about these changes? Okay, Craig, I will do my best as simple as possible. Uh, These are all part of the former government's seven-year plan to reform the personal income tax system. Now, stage one and stage two have already been implemented, and that benefits the low and middle income earners. Stage three will benefit middle to high income earners. Now, these are already in, aren't they? So, like, there's no legislation required to be passed for these to come in. They're, they're there, and if nothing happens, they kick off on 1 July. Is that right? That, that's absolutely correct. They were all legislated and will commence on 1st July 2024. Of course, unless our current government introduces new legislation to stop it from happening. Yeah, or, or they wind them back in some way. But we have had both the Treasurer and the Prime Minister come out multiple times and recommit to these. So um, as far as you can rely on that kind of thing, um, does appear like we're going to get them, but there's always a risk that uh, they will be scaled back or abandoned in some way. And we're likely to hear about that early next year or in the federal budget if it is to happen. So based on we're just going to talk about now, just what's actually been legislated. Yep, sure. All right. So, Sarah, what do they do? Uh, Yeah, they do two things. They change the number of the tax brackets as well as reduce the tax rates that apply to income within those brackets. For example, they remove the 37% tax bracket entirely and increase the top tax bracket threshold from $180,000 to $200,000. They also reduce the tax rate that applies from $45,000 to $200,000 income uh, to a flat rate of 30%. Uh, so this differs from the current system where taxable income between $45,000 and $200,000 is actually taxed at 32.5%, 37%, or 45%, depending on their level of a taxable income. Well, wow, that, that's really quite significant, is it? I mean, just flattening out the tax uh, thresholds like that. So all the way from 45 to 
$200,000, almost said $300,000 there, to $200,000 as just one simple tax rate of 30%. So I suppose if you would have been subject to the 32.5% tax rate, that's a tax cut of 2.5%. Mm. If you're in the 37% tax bracket, that's a tax cut for those people of 7%. And then between 180 and 200, that new top marginal tax rate threshold, um, 15% tax cut for, for those people. So very, very significant changes. Now, obviously, um, this is going to have an impact on the amount of tax people actually save. So do you want to go through those for people on different levels of income? Sure, sure, Craig. Stating of the obvious, um, the more uh, taxable income the person earns, uh, the higher amount of a tax saving that it can be delivered. Uh, so, for example, if a client with taxable income of $200,000 or more, uh, they will receive the maximum tax saving of $9,075 per year. Well, obviously, people earn uh, less than $200,000 will save less. Let's just go through some examples. Um, people on $180,000 income will save around 6000 to be precise, $6,075. People mm-hmm. on 140000 will save $3,275. People on $100,000 income will save $1,375. In comparison, people's taxable income drops to $50,000. They will only save $125 a year. Well, while the taxable income drops to $45,000 or below, unfortunately, people in this tax bracket uh, will not save any tax at all. Okay, obviously, so these tax cuts very heavily weighted to people on higher incomes than, than lower income. So that has been some of the criticism. And so that's why you've been seeing a lot of people suggesting that uh, the, the present government should be scaling these back, these tax concessions back. But, uh, you know, as we said, well, as I mentioned before, um, we've seen the Prime Minister and the Treasurer on multiple occasions recommit to these, these uh, tax cuts that are already legislated. So Wow, really quite substantial. The way I think about that $200,000 figure, so $9,075 tax cut, um, that's an extra $9,075 in the hand, right? So to get to, in my thinking, when I when I really thought about that, I thought, yeah, what does that mean? And then when I did the, the calculation, so if you assume the current tax rates, that would equate to someone getting over a $17,000 pay rise, to end up with an extra $9,075 in the hand. So really, really quite significant. And when you think about couples too, so if you've got uh, some clients where both uh, both members of the couple are high income earners, then now we're talking you know extra cash flow in the hand of an extra over $18,000 a year. So obviously there's going to be some real planning opportunities come out of this. So what are they going to look like? Yeah, at a very high level, um, the clients, uh, the the ones that you described, correct, uh, they would be on higher marginal tax rate in the current financial year and a lower marginal tax rate um, next financial year. So think about it. Any strategies such as bringing forward deductions to the current financial year where the marginal tax rates are higher or delay income into the next financial year or future financial year uh, where the marginal tax rates are lower can be really tax effective. Okay, so one way we can bring forward deductions when I think about this is making personal deductible contributions um, and potentially using the carry forward concessional contribution rules. Mm. And there's something changing there this year as well, isn't there? 
Yeah, that's right, Craig. Uh, not so much uh, uh, as in uh, the changes in the actual rules, there's nothing changing there. But from mm-hmm. a timing perspective, it's just really important to remember uh, for client who's eligible to use the unused carry forward concessional contribution cap amount. Now that carry forward amount can only be used in the following five years before it expires. So let's just take into account the carry forward concessional cap rules that started in 1819 financial year. So if we just count five financial years after 1819 financial year, we'll find out this financial year actually is the very last financial year we can use any carry forward amount accrued from that financial year before it completely expires. Okay, and obviously we, we need to think about the eligibility criteria for that. So you've got to have a total superannuation balance as at the last day of the previous financial year of less than $500,000. So for this year, we're looking to see whether the client's got a total super balance on 30 June 2023 of less than $500,000. So for clients that total super balance is, is under that level, and so therefore they're eligible, those clients, we might have them up around 450, 460. So that's another reason why they actually might want to make even larger um, carry forward concessional contributions because they may have unused cap amount, not only for 2018, 19, but 19, 20, 21, 22, all that sort of stuff. And if they're starting to get close to that $500,000 threshold, this this year or next year, maybe our, our last opportunities to utilize these rules. So it's not only those amounts from 2018-19, we might want to try and get in as much as we possibly can, because once the client sales pass $500,000, unless they come back down again at some point in the future, um, then they're losing the ability to, to bring forward these contributions. Or carry forward, not bring forward. Don't want to confuse people with non-concessional caps. Now, right, I believe we've got an article and a podcast that runs through these strategies in a lot more detail. That, that's correct. We talk about the podcast we did last month um, that's um, called Advice Implications of Stage 3 Tax Cuts. And we now have an article with the same title, again, Advice Implications of the Stage 3 Tax Cuts. So the podcast and the article uh, go through uh, greater details and discussing the strategies mm-hmm. and opportunities and all that. And also, we, we also have a client fact sheet uh, that's titled, How Can I Make the Most Out of the Stage 3 Tax Cuts? And finally, Craig, you just did a um, uh, recent first tech quarterly webinar, uh, the uh, technical update, and that also uh, includes this topic that's available on our website. Okay, and I think for that client fact sheet, that that I think will be quite important for people. So advisors can take that and use that, use it for sending out information to their, you know, their mailing lists, all that sort of stuff to try and uh, make clients aware. So I think that's going to be really important over the next seven odd months to to get in front of clients, start talking about them uh, about the opportunities that come out of this. So for things like salary sacrifice or personal deductible contribution strategies on or after the first of July, obviously with all this extra cash flow, we could potentially salary sacrifice or direct that money into superannuation. And we're talking big amounts here. So that would obviously make a big difference to superannuation over 5, 10 or 15 years. But we really want to set that up and get that going right from the first uh, first day. So from the 1st of July, because once these clients, you know, it's human nature, once you get used to that level of disposable income coming through, the old saying is your, your expenditure rises to meet your income. Um, so it would be get 
get them doing this right from the first day of the new financial year and they won't miss the money. Okay, great. Thanks, Linda. Now moving on to Kim and aged care reform. Hi, Kim. Hi, Craig. So I understand we might have some changes on the way to fees and how they will be calculated for aged care from next financial year. So can you give us a little bit of background information here? Yeah, sure. Well, a few years ago now, we had a Royal Commission into aged care quality and safety. And that Royal Commission made many recommendations on how to improve the quality of aged care. And um, some of those recommendations were actually to do with how aged care is funded, uh, the funding arrangements. Um, and those, uh, many of those recommendations, though, haven't been put in place yet. The government's put um, lots of ones around quality and safety and all those sorts of things. But the aged care fees and charges, that section is still outstanding at this stage. Right. So is the government intending to change the way aged care fees and charges actually apply? Well, they have appointed an aged care task force Mm -hmm. to review aged care funding. And as part of that review, that task force is looking at um, aged care means testing, so what's included in the income and assets tests. It's also looking at how accommodation costs for aged care are funded with the possible phasing out of refundable accommodation deposits. Oh, wow. And they're also looking at how home care fees are going to be determined. So it sounds like we may have some changes next year. When are we likely to know what's changing? Well, the final report of the Aged Care Task Force is actually due out in December this year, and it's expected that the government will post their response early next year. And so we're expecting, if there's going to be changes, that they will actually come in from 1 July 24, um, and that will coincide with the introduction of a new Aged Care Act. Okay, so that's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Now, I would imagine that if aged care fees and charges do change, grandfathering is likely to apply to existing residents? Well, that's certainly the normal way that the government brings in changes of this nature, um, but we will have to wait and see what, how they're going to implement those changes. Yeah, it's always great when the government wants to go and try and simplify things and they end up grandfathering the old law, old rules, yeah. so then you end up with two sets of rules. That's right. Which, Makes it interesting for calculators and things <laughs> yeah, like that too. No, I know. Very interesting, yes. yeah. Yeah. So I'd imagine if we do see lots of changes there, we're going to be doing lots of aged care ses- sessions next year, Kim. I think we will. Yes, it'll keep us busy. Okay. Now, moving on to our final topic, and that's the Social Security Work Bonus. Now, I understand the legislation has passed to implement some changes from the 1st of January next year, so just, you know, five or six weeks away. Um, do you want to run us through the changes? Yeah, that's right. So the government has actually passed the legislation that will extend some temporary increases to the work bonus, which were due to expire on the 31st of December this year. And the new legislation actually retains those oh. those extensions permanently from that time. That's so, great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it is good. So from 1 January 24, um, pensioners who are over age, pension age and eligible veterans will retain a maximum work bonus limit of 11,800 rather than it reverting down to 7,800, which was previously legislated to happen on the 31st of December. So that higher limit is being maintained permanently. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, new pensioners, so new people going on to the age pension and, and other pensions over age pension age, are going to start off with a $4,000 balance in their work bonus income bank when they claim the age pension. And that's been the case over you know the last sort of year or so under the temporary measures, and that's going to continue to be a permanent um, change under the new provisions from the 1st of January next year. There's also this funny special rule that they're bringing in when a pensioner loses their pension and then re-qualifies. And in some cases, they may qualify for a bit of a work bonus top up in those cases. But those rules are a bit complex and we won't go into them today. Okay. Um, So that all sounds very positive. Uh, How will this impact those people, not so much already retired, but planning to retire? Is, Is there some strategy opportunities there? Yeah, well, new pensioners will continue to have the opportunity to apply for the age pension and then keep working and having their employment income reduced by that $4,000 starting balance in their income bank. Well, so that sounds like actually a potentially great advice opportunity that clients can apply for the age pension before they cease working and receive the benefit of that $4,000 work bonus income bank amount. And also for pensions to be able to continue to accrue up to 11800 in their income bank to offset that future employment income. Yeah, that's right. Um, these measures are aimed at encouraging pensioners to do some paid employment um, and that work bonus reduces the impact of their employment income under the income test. Okay, so if advisors want some more detailed information about the work bonus, I understand we've got uh, an article on these changes Yeah, that's right. We've got an article that goes through the changes and the opportunities in detail. Okay, great. Thanks, Kim. Now that about wraps it up, everyone, for this podcast. Now, we hope you all enjoy the holiday break and thanks for listening during the year. And we look forward to providing more podcasts next year. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great and safe holiday. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.